Welcome back, HBAC On Air listeners. We're excited to be here again today with Jennifer Butch. We're going to be kicking it off with another What's New with Greg's episode. Um, so Jennifer has got some new topics to continue to tell us about, and she also has Dr. Rajan Rajendran as a guest again. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Lindsay. In this third episode, we're going to look at the Kigali Amendment, phase down, not out. As Lindsay mentioned, we are joined once again by Dr. Rajan Rajendran. He's responsible for running Emerson's Helix Innovation Center on the University of Dayton campus and also serves on various industry organizations such as AHRI, ASHRAE, and the Alliance for Responsible Atmospheric Policy. Welcome, Rajan. Thank you, Jennifer. All right. As we dive into the Kigali Amendment, I know some of these topics are a little cumbersome or regulatory in nature, and so sometimes people struggle to really understand how they relate and why they're important. So we're going to try to make this digestible for this episode. In the last 20 years, the last time we talked about the transition out of CFCs and HCFCs and the replacement refrigerants that we're using today are the HFC or hydrofluorocarbons. They lack that chlorine element that caused problems with the ozone layer. And so the question that we left with last time was, why are HFCs not a good permanent solution? Rajan, can you help us understand that? Sure, I'll try. What I will do is, let me see if I can use an example that uh, we're all used to in our lives. Everybody knows that even on a cold winter day, when the sun is out and you go and park your car in the parking lot under the full sun, and then you come back in a few hours and you open the door, the inside of the car is hot. And the reason for that we all know is because it's been sitting out in the sun. Well, what has actually happened? What's happened is sun's radiation that's coming in is of a different wavelength and it can pass through glass very easily. And it does. It gets into your car and all that radiation gets absorbed by car seat, the dashboard, and everything else. And now these bodies begin to radiate heat back out. But the wavelength is now different. The wavelength is such that it will not pass through the glass anymore. So all the heat that comes in from the sun, which is all radiation, gets trapped inside the car and it's not able to get out. And it's not able to get out because of the glass. And glass actually becomes opaque to the radiation coming from the inside of the car. This, in a very crude way, is, is what's called the, quote-unquote, the greenhouse gas effect. And the science behind this is that all the gases and all the chemicals that we use on Earth, and it's not just refrigerants, it's plenty of other chemicals and gases that we use, all of these get up into the upper atmosphere, and they hang around there for a long time sometimes. Sometimes it's a one-week life. Sometimes it's a two-week life. Sometimes they can be around for a 100 years or more. And when that happens, that layer acts just like a glass in your car. So the radiation comes in from the sun. It gets absorbed by the earth. When the earth tries to re-radiate it out, some of the radiation escapes based on the wavelength and so on. Other radiation gets bounced back or reflected back to the earth, and therefore uh, the energy has got nowhere else to go, and it continues to raise the temperature. So that's the science behind this whole thing. Why are 
suddenly HFCs in the spotlight. The reason is when we went from CFCs and HCFCs to HFCs, the primary reason at that time was ozone. So we wanted to get away from ozone-depleting chemicals, which we did. So HFCs do not have any impact on ozone. However, HFCs do have this, what is called a greenhouse gas potential, and therefore that has become a concern now that we have moved away from ozone-depleting gases. And this is the reason why there was, since about in the last 25, 30 years, there has been increased you know, attention paid to this. And much of it actually happened under the same auspices of the Montreal Protocol Treaty that we talked about in the last episode. And that's when we discussed the phase out of CFCs and HCFCs. So it's in that forum all of this discussion started again about what are these HFCs, uh, you know, and what is the impact of HFCs now on the climate and environment? What is the science behind it? What is the data telling us? And what is it that we can do about it? So those are the kind of questions that are being asked. Thank you. So, you know, I've read that the Montreal Protocol, so going back to the original agreement, which was put in place to actually phase out the ozone-depleting substances, actually had the biggest impact on climate change or Mm -hmm. global warming potential. Is this related to the hole in the ozone layer, or why did the Montreal Protocol have the biggest impact given that it wasn't really put in place to address global warming potential? (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We've always heard in our lives that when you do something, you always have to think about what the unintended consequences are of your actions. And whenever people say that, they always mean negative or bad unintended consequences. However, in the case of the Montreal Protocol, we got rid of CFCs and HCFCs, primarily CFCs, right, because that's what's the bulk. And when we did that, the unintended consequence was that we also got rid of one of the highest global warming potential gases. R12 has got a very high GWP or global warming potential. It is two to three times more than or even more than that, maybe even four times more than most of the HFCs that we use today. So when we eliminated R12 and went away from that, we actually went away from one of the highest GWP, or global warming potential gases. There was an article back in uh, 2014, I believe it was January 2014 in The Economist, that actually spelled all this out. And they looked at all the different things that have had a positive impact on the global warming impact. And Montreal Protocol Treaty was actually ranked as number one. It was way more than all the other things that came after it. So definitely our industry has, the HVAC and our industry has um, helped uh, improve um, the um, environment by getting away from CSCs. The original intention was ozone. But we also help global warming in this case. But this is not something that is very well known or publicized or advertised or talked about much. But go read that article. I think you'll find that interesting. That's actually really great news. For once, an unintended consequence had a positive impact. So we don't hear about that too often. (laughs) Usually we hear about the negative impacts of all these unintended consequences. (laughs) Yep. 
So let's move on to the next area of focus. What about these developing economies or developing countries? How do they impact emissions? Because we hear a lot about emissions increasing significantly over the next few years and that we only have a, a short window to really tackle this. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So let me back up a little bit. So if I said to you that I went from a gas like CFC-12 to a refrigerant like R410A and I reduced the GWP by 80% or more, you would say that that's a very good thing to do. But if that was all the case and there was nothing more to worry about, then I don't think people would have started talking about these HFCs and what impact they have on the environment. You know, just a few minutes ago, I said that the Montreal Protocol by eliminating CFCs, it actually had a very positive impact on global warming. So why can't we just sit on those laurels and those positive things and not have to worry about anything anymore? Well, the reason is that much of the last century, the latter half of the 20th century and the early part, uh, especially the latter half of the 20th century, all the growth was in Western nations and countries like Japan and so on. Towards the end of the 20th century and first part of the 21st century is now in Asia and other developing economies. There is a group of scientists led by a gentleman by name Velders. It's actually called the Velders Model. And if you Google that, you'll find a lot of reports written by him. He and the others wrote a paper back in 2015, and I think they've even updated it since then, where they actually took all the different emissions by all the different countries and they put in the economic growth model in there, and they factored in the increased demand for heating, air conditioning, and refrigeration products in uh, China and India and other Asian economies, as well as countries in Africa. And when they did that, what they found was that if we continued with life as usual or business as usual, continued with these HFCs that we have today, it could actually lead to some very, very undesirable consequences in terms of these uh, global warming gases being in the upper atmosphere. So that model was very important in convincing people, and that data along those lines was very important to convince people that as we take these developing countries and developing economies, as they come on board and they start increasing their footprint, then it is important for us to look for alternatives that would actually have even a much lower global warming potential than the current refrigerants like 410A and 404A that we're all using. So this report, was it a major um, driver of the whole Kigali effort or was that underway prior to this report really coming out? So people maybe understood it from a general sense about this report? I think the Kigali effort actually predates all of that. The report was part of everything else. There is sufficient documentation. You know, in the last podcast, I talked about what is called the RTOC, or Refrigeration, Heating, and Air Conditioning Technical Options Committee Report, which is available on the T Technology and Economic Assessment Panel website. If you go there, you'll be able to download it. All of these economic models and discussions are also included in that report. And so, no, this report in this paper was one of many inputs into this whole discussion. Okay. 
In the last E360 webinar, and for those listeners that aren't familiar, E360 is a platform that Emerson uses to share regulatory updates, among other things. But we had a chart on the Kigali phase down in our March 2020 webinar on the Kigali amendment and the phase down steps. I'm just curious if we could talk a little bit about how Kigali works and are we all in the same timeline or how is it structured? Yeah, so last time we talked about um, the Montreal Protocol and it's a treaty that was signed in Montreal and that's why it's called the Montreal Protocol. Now we'll talk briefly about this amendment to the Montreal Protocol which is called the Kigali Amendment because it was signed in Kigali. And this happened back in October of 2016. It's going to be almost four years since the Kigali Amendment was signed. And as I said earlier, uh, the concern that as all the economies around the world begin to use uh, air conditioning, refrigeration, and heating products with the current technologies that we have, then the emissions and the global warming potential of these gases could cause harm to the environment. By the way, the United States was very clearly a leader along with all the you know, other countries around the world. A lot of the countries came up with what is called the HFC or GWP phase down. So what that is, is remember when we talked about Montreal Protocol, Jennifer, we had more than one bucket of countries. Well, yeah. now... Yeah, now we have four buckets of countries. Okay, so they created four buckets, and uh, each one has different phase-down schedule and a different baseline year. And basically what it took is the total consumption of all the different refrigerants in a country in their baseline year uh, times the GWP, the global warming potential of all these different gases. Oh, by the way, the global warming potential of the gases is also something that comes out of the Montreal Protocol and uh, all these technical committees. They are the ones that actually publish all that. And so, you know, you basically you take the amount of refrigerant that you're consuming in your baseline year multiplied by its respective GWP number, and that is your baseline GWP quota. And so you go down from there Every so many years, you drop down by 10% or 15% or 20% as the schedule requires you to. So this Kigali Amendment, you know, there were four different phase-down schedules in there. But all the schedules eventually lead to somewhere between 15-18%, around 18% of uh, the baseline, right around the 2040, 2045, 2050, you know, another 25 to 30 years. So this phase down was, like I said, signed back in October of 2016. And at this point in time, there are somewhere around 90 countries that have already ratified this amendment. It's an amendment to a treaty, therefore it has to be ratified by each country. And over 90 countries have already ratified it. It is in effect as of January 1, 2019, but the U.S. has not ratified the treaty yet. You know, we still have time to do it, but it has not risen up to the level of attention that it requires to actually get it ratified. And I think there might be some other federal and state actions that are currently taking place in the U.S. that we'll Mm -hmm. investigate later in this podcast series. But Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you mentioned phasing down the 15 to 18%. Why are we not phasing out to zero like we did with the ozone depleting 
substance policy <laughs> under the Montreal Protocol? Yeah, Montreal Protocol, we went from um, we went from a gas that had some ozone depleting potential to gases that have no ozone depleting potential, so we could phase it out. But unfortunately, all the gases that we use in what is called this vapor compression technology, which is what you are commonly used to seeing in all the air conditioning and refrigeration equipment around you, all the gases, whether it's CO2 or propane, it doesn't matter. Every gas has got some element of global warming potential to it. And therefore, it's not possible to completely eliminate all these gases. However, the countries all agreed that there was potential to target lower global warming potential gases, and that is the reason why they chose a number that, you know, all the scientists and economists and everybody understood would be a sustainable number. And by the way, that 18% we are talking about is something that will allow you to continue to service all your equipment. It will continue to allow you to build new equipment. Will uh, also allow for all the growth in developing economies that we talked about earlier. So it is so in order for us to continue to do what we all do. Now, um, does that mean that it is not possible to come up with other methods of producing cooling other than vapor compression systems? No. Uh, there's plenty of research that is going on, and there's lots and lots of products that you might even see on the market that talk about other technologies than other than just uh, vapor compression cycles that use refrigerants. One of them could be something like the thermoelectric refrigeration. You know, you can find thermoelectric uh, wine coolers and such on the market today. But when you start talking about larger systems and larger applications, the vapor compression system, which is what you see normally, is by far the most cost-effective and the most efficient technology there is. And so it sets a pretty high bar for all these new technologies that are being investigated. But a day will come when I think other technologies will become more popular and cost-effective and efficient. And when that happens, perhaps someday, we may even look back on all of this and be surprised that we were using refrigerant gases for our cooling needs. But that day is not now. <laughs> Back to you, Jennifer. Rajan, I want to thank you for joining us again this week as we investigate some of these refrigerant regulations and policy drivers. I look forward to chatting with you again in the near future in a future episode. As we complete this podcast and we prepare for the next one, I want to leave our audience with another thought or another question. So even though the U.S. hasn't ratified Kigali, have we taken steps to phase down HFCs? So please join us next time as we look into this question and others relative to state and federal activities to phase down these HFCs. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for bringing Rajan onto the show. Thank you for doing these special edition What's New with Reg episodes as well. We're so grateful to have some subject matter experts around this topic on the show. So as always, listeners, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also find us on ac-heatingconnect.com as well as on Facebook and Twitter at Copeland Scroll. We always welcome comments, follows, likes, topic suggestions, and more. So thank you again and join us next time.